Well, it's a huge pleasure for me to welcome on our next episode of the DNA podcast, a person that I very, very much admire for everything he's done for our sport on and off the court. Obviously, he's the coach of Serena Williams, but there is so much more to him than that. And we're going to find out more about him in the next couple of minutes. Would you agree that the confidence comes from doing all the things right in order to be prepared the best you can or because you are confident you do those things naturally? That's a very good question. Very good question. I think uh, the natural self-confidence is something you develop at a very young age. We never really have a chance to actually talk about you and how you got yourself into tennis and if you remember the time when you realized that that was the passion for you. Oh yes, I remember. <laughs> it became a, a passion straight away. Uh, I, I started tennis like uh, a lot of people, especially uh, people my age, because tennis was extremely uh, popular thanks to uh, champions like Bjorn Borg or John McEnroe. And some people might think, oh, you know, you're coaching Serena Williams. That's got to be like the easiest job in the world because she's the great champion and all that. But I think the opposite of that would be true. So the, the number one quality, I think, and the most difficult thing is to, uh, to listen. So please do welcome a very great friend of mine, Patrick Moraklo. Patrick, welcome. Thank you, Daniela. I'm very <laughs> happy to spend a bit, bit of time with you. Yes, I was just going to ask you, thank you so much for your time. Although probably that's not the issue these days because it seems like <laughs> we're having a lot of time. But having said that, I don't know about you, but some days I'm actually more busy than normal. Uh, it's funny you say that because it's exactly the same for me. And I say that uh, to, uh, to people when they ask me, I say I've never been so busy in my life. <laughs> that, that sounds completely crazy, but... Um, yeah, but uh, as you know, I have a, a quite a, many different businesses in sports. First of all, the situation puts everyone in a in a difficult situation financially, and we have to deal with a lot of things we were not expecting to deal with. Um, and second, uh, there are two ways to see the situation. One way is to uh, uh, to uh, to be a bit down and uh, and and wait until things get better and the other way is to think about what we can do today uh, in order when things get better to be more ready than we were before so like let's use that time the best possible way yeah. and finally finally it's also an opportunity to spend uh, more time uh, more family time for us who are uh, i say us in general who with our jobs who are very busy um, and we don't have this uh, opportunity to 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 to, to calm down and, and and enjoy the family as much as we should. Uh, we as we have spent a lot of time in the house or in the the apartment. Naturally, we spend more time, more family time. So altogether, it makes it very uh, challenging. Challenging, but I would say positive at the same time because like you said we get to spend time with our families is there something that you wanted to do all these years but obviously because we are so busy you haven't had time and now finally you get to do it 
Well, I wish, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but it's not the case. <laughs> I wish. I mean, there are a lot of things I want to do and I don't have time to do them. Uh, and I said to myself when this happened, uh, oh, perfect. I will do those things, but I don't have the time <laughs> to do them. So I, but still, I think I, I have to find that time. So uh, I give myself a few more weeks. And then, uh, then I have to find a way. You know what? In general, it's it's all about organization. Uh, a lot of people say I don't have time to do sports. Uh, I, I wish I would be in a better shape. But at the end of the day, you have time to do everything. It's just how much time you uh, you make for that. So, like this is true for sports, for example. I mean, I don't have time to do sports. Okay, so wake up one hour earlier and you do sports every morning. You know, in a way. So it's I want to apply this to myself too, and uh, the things that I want to do for for a long time, uh, I I I I will do them. I will I will find a way. Just like we woke up that early morning in Melbourne and had a hit, right? <laughs> exactly, and I miss it. <laughs> I miss it too, big time. That was a lot of fun. Patrick, now uh, the show is called DNA because I really love to talk to my guests about what they believe that their core values are and the qualities that help them to get where they are in their lives. So if you could talk to me a little bit about that, what you appreciate the most in you as a person that when people say about you, you go like, yep, that's me. Uh, <clears throat> I think in order to, uh, to succeed, whatever you do, uh, the first thing that comes to my mind as something very important, I mean, essential is uh, passion. Um, I think people who are passionate, which me, which means that they were, they are prepared to do, uh, uh, I mean, they give everything for what they do. They're, they're focused on what they do and they're focused all the time, not only eight hours a day, but it's something that occupies their mind because of that passion. I think those people go much further than anybody else. And I don't like when a player tells me, for example, uh, and I often ask them, what do you do when you come back home? Are you watching some tennis? And when the answer is, oh, no, I, I play tennis all day, I'm not going to come back home and watch tennis. I always think, well, that's not great because it should be a passion. I mean, they do, you don't decide to be passionate, but uh, when you are, I think you have a big edge over other people. Uh, somebody else who's passionate will work uh, in a way 24-7, even mentally, Uh and I remember one one year I decided to invite the coach of the world champion in chess, and I told him, "Come please and talk to my coaches, uh, because I think your experience from a different field will be very useful." And it was, and he told me that all the top players in chess are playing chess twenty four seven in their mind, and in a way they can't stop it. Wow. And I, I found, yeah. <laughs> And, and he told me the only moment when I stop to think about it and play matches in my mind, it's when I play tennis because I disconnect. This is one of the only moments I can disconnect. So it's very consuming, but imagine how much more experience they get than other people who do that eight hours a day. After a few years, it's a huge difference. Plus, when you add passion to what you do, you do it so much better. So passion is a key word for me. Wow, Patrick, that is an amazing, <laughs> amazing answer. And and I don't think passion is is only one thing. Uh, 
it's also a state of mind, a way to be. Uh, I am passionate about tennis, of course, but I'm passionate about dogs because I, I started to, I mean, I like, like dogs since I'm a kid and it became a passion too. And I know a lot about dogs, much more than 99% of the people because I, I have, I'm passionate about that. I'm passionate about music. Uh, I'm passionate about my business because my sport became a business. Uh, so it's not easy to live with me because I mentally uh, process all the time. Uh, but I think it's a key, whatever you do. And again, the passion can, is more than only a passion for one thing. It can be a passion for one thing, but it can be a, a, a passion about what whatever you do. You can do it with passion or without passion. And if you also, I love music and all the greatest musicians in the history. Uh, and I speak about classical music and, and jazz music, which are for me the, the two uh, biggest musics. Uh, all the musicians are completely obsessed with the, their instrument, completely obsessed. They almost they sleep with their, their instrument. They play all the time. It's uh, it's what they use to uh, to communicate. So again, the passion is there, hundred percent, and twenty four seven. So that's the that's number one key for sure. And I think if I have to name a second one, and after I will ask, let you ask another question, otherwise it's going to be too long. But the second thing is is the 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 self-belief, which is completely linked with the the perception that people have of themselves. Because I think to succeed, you have to believe in, in yourself. You have to trust yourself. You have to, you have to believe you can make it also. And you know tennis uh, incredibly well because you, you've been a, a champion and you know how, much, how important it is. Because it's so difficult, because uh, what is true for tennis is true in life. I mean, there are so many disappointments. There are so many failures. There are so many tough moments. If you don't really, truly believe in yourself, when those moments come, it's easy to give up. It's easy to think that it's not going to happen. And this is where the people who really believe in themselves make the difference. So I think that's the second thing that is extremely important. And uh, I mean, I have kids. Uh, my goal for my kids is to have them be confident and, and confident in their themselves. Not cocky, but confident. It's, it's different. Believe in their, themselves. And Serena says, for example, as a player, you have to be your best supporter. And that's what she means. And I think she is her best supporter. And that's great because that's also why she is who she is. And if you look at the tennis, which I think is a good... Uh, uh, is a good way to see the world. Uh, the most successful players are the most confident in their abilities. Uh, and when they play a match, when things get tough, I used to say they refuse to lose. But refusing to lose is, at the end, it's believing that there is no way this guy is going to beat me. And I have this... Uh, Example in, in mind that I love. I remember one one year, uh, Andy Murray played Joe Wilfried Songa, and Joe Wilfried Songa is, is a fantastic player. But Andy Murray, I think, is from a different league. He has three Grand Slams, which makes a, and one Olympic gold medal, which is a big difference for me. And uh, Murray is two sets up, and then suddenly Songa starts to play better, and he wins the third, and he wins the fourth. So they two sets all. And Murray wins the first game of the fifth set and he turns to his box and he says, you could read on his, on his lips, there is no way I'm going to lose this match. But to be able to think like that 
when the, the opponent, which is a great player, wins the, th- the second and the third set, you have to have that belief. And thanks to that belief, you win a lot of matches that you would have loved if, lost Sorry, if you didn't have that belief. And these matches, the fact that you win those matches feeds your belief in yourself. And it's a, it's a virtuous circle. When you don't believe in yourself, you are losing those matches and you go into a vicious circle that takes confidence out of you. And because of this confidence lost, you lose another matches and then another one and you never get that confidence. So, of course, players expect to win matches to get confident. But to win those matches, you have to have that inner confidence. So I'm talking a lot about tennis, but it's true in life. It's exactly the same process because we are all the result of our experiences. And in order to create positive experiences, the self-confidence you have and the self-belief that you have is an incredible asset. Totally agree with that. That self-belief is something that probably no one puts on the display better than Serena, because I think to me she's the greatest champion we ever had and she's the perfect example for that. back you up with that uh, answer about the passion now tell me if I'm wrong but like you said it's it's a state of mind that transfers from yes we talk a lot about tennis but like you said and I absolutely love that that it goes to any department of our life for example myself now just started the podcast and as you said it becomes like a 24 hour seven days a week that I just keep thinking about it how to make it better uh, what kind of questions I'm going to ask whether I'm on the treadmill running or whatever I'm doing I'm putting the same I would almost say it's the intensity of our thoughts that we put into something and like you also said, it's maybe sometimes not easy to live with us because whatever we would do, it's not that we want to be best in the world at it. We just want to give our best belief into whatever we do. So I think that passion with self-belief, it's the most important ingredient to have in life. Yeah. If you have this combination, you can go a very long way because, you know, a lot of people say you have to fight during the matches. Yes. But if you believe Mm. that this match is yours because you are better, not in a cocky way again, because I don't think that those champions are cocky, but they believe in themselves, it's easier to fight. If you don't believe in yourself and things go wrong, it's easy to start to think, oh, it's not my day. Oh, the guy is playing unbelievable today. Or find a reason to give up. So, again, being the fighting spirit is also a consequence of the perception that the players have of themselves. Yep. Now the work, people say, and it's true, if you want to succeed, you have to work hard. But if you're passionate, you don't even feel like you're working. Mm-hmm. You just want to give it all because you're, you love what you're doing and, and it's natural. If you, you're not passionate, working hard is tough. It's maybe too tough for 99% of the people because you're, you're, you're just not, not enjoying. So that's why I named those two things because those two things for me are the base and all the other qualities are just consequences of the passion and the self-belief. Yeah, totally. 
And I think uh, Serena and Roger are the best example of that, how they really live with the tennis 24 hours a day. And it, be, 100%. it, it, be, it is their DNA, just like it, it is ours. And that's, that's the point I'm trying to make here. Like you don't become those kind of people if it's not really deep into every single cell of yours. So what I also love there that you say that being confident is different to being cocky. And I think that's a great message for especially young players, because sometimes I, probably even me at the beginning, you know, it's, it's high, far, hard to find that balance between, you know, having the belief, but at the same time being respectful, being humbled and just always remembering where we come from. Yeah. And, and uh, I think players, uh, top players often uh, speak about it and sometimes they speak really well about it. Uh, and they say you have to respect everyone, which is true. This is, this is not being cocky. I respect yep. my opponent. My opponent is good. My opponent can beat me, but I'm going to win because yep. I'm a champion and I'm not. And, and I know deep inside myself, I know that I'm good enough to beat this guy. And I know that I will find the solution. I will, even if I'm in trouble at some point, I will find a solution because there are things in me that are different. So that's the right way to think about it. And you know, you said something that I think is important too. A lot of players, I, I say, this is very true for French people. I don't know if it's true everywhere, but in France, for example, being confident and being cocky, people think it's the same. Mm. And a lot of players don't allow themselves to be confident because they think they will be cocky. And so they don't, for example, they would never say that they're ambitious. They will never point out their ambitions. They will think this is cocky. This is not cocky to be ambitious. This is great. I mean, how can you be passionate? How can you be self-confident if you're not really having high goals? It starts yeah. with that. So you have to allow yourself to have high goals. You have to allow yourself to say it. Uh, it's not a problem. I remember Coco Gauff uh, when she was 12, already on her Instagram account under her name, she said, I want to be the greatest of all times, which is a bit too much when you're 12. Uh, and I remember I have this discussion with her father and I, I said to, his, to her father, do you think it's right to say that? I mean, I have no problem if she believes it. I think it's great. But to say it puts inc an incredible pressure on her at 12 and she will have a lot of pressure to deal with. Is it necessary? And second, how do you think people are going to perceive it? People might think, oh, wow, she she's completely... Uh, unrealistic to say something like this at 12. So I was saying that even though, even with what I just told you hmm. and he answered me, yeah, but she believes it for me. It's not no problem. She believes she's going to be the greatest of all times. I think, I mean, at the end of the day, if she can handle it and she believes it amazing. And she proved <laughs> she's not the greatest of all times yet, uh, still far from there, but what she has achieved already at the age she has shows the incredible personality. She, she she has and it shows also how much she believes in herself can you believe that at 15 she qualifies for the for wimbledon for the first time of her life she plays venus and she beats her i mean you you have to believe in yourself a little bit and then she beats her again in australia and then she beats osaka who's the defending champion you know if all those matches only a player that believes in herself incredibly can win those matches and you know what? When I look at young players and I scout them and I decide to work with them, that's the two things I look at. I look at. 
passion and self-confidence. Hmm. And all the rest is the consequence. And Stefanos Tsitsipas, for me, is incredibly passionate about tennis and is incredibly, and he's, he believes in himself. That's why he could beat so many top tens and he beat Rafa on clay in Madrid. He beat uh, Novak uh, on a Masters 1000. He beat uh, uh, Roger in a Grand Slam at 20, you know, and, and, he, get, and he won the, the, the ATP uh, championship at the end of the year. You don't do that at 20 if you don't believe in yourself, incredibly. And same for Coco. That's the most important. That's how you become a champion. Well, as you said, saying those things at 12 years old is something unbelievable, but she really means it. You can see it like she's on the mission. She's on the right path. And I think it's just a matter of time. But having said that, Serena, Venus were just the same at her age, writing down the notes that, yes, they were going to be number one in the world. So we can just see how the, the, the power of the mind and where we put our focus can make the difference in our life. Completely. And uh, and we all remember how people were looking at uh, Richard Williams when he announced that, like, this guy is completely crazy. Who yeah. does he think he is? He doesn't know anything. Everybody judged him. Uh, but again, he believed. Confidence was there. And I have the chance to, uh, I'm lucky to know him really well. And uh, he explained to me this, I remember, a long time ago, long time ago, before I started to work with Serena, I knew him well because I, I was very impressed with what he had achieved. I have an incredible respect for this man. Mm. Uh, so do I. And, and, yeah, and you, know, and you know that a lot of people were judging him because he was not a tennis player, but what he's done is incredible. He told me that when he started and when he decided that, that his two daughters are going to be champions. He said, I had only one goal, to have my two daughters be incredibly confident. Because, and his theory was in, is interesting, actually. He said to me, the match, we all know that the tennis match, the difference is made on a few points, a few break points here and there that makes a difference. You make them, you don't make them. At the end of the, of the match, you won or you lost. So those few matches... Of course, the players recognize them. You know when it's an important point when you play a match when you're a pro. Yep. And even when you're not a pro, actually. <laughs> you know, it's now. You have to make that point. Okay. On those points, both of the players know how important it is. And the pressure is at the highest and even higher when the, the, the motor tournament important is. So when the pressure is high, you are shaking. You have stress. And it's normal because we're humans. And when things are important... We have a lot of emotions. The, and he told me, the player who's the most confident of the two will handle the pressure and the stress much better. And he's 100% right. So he said to me, if my daughter is much more confident than the other players, she will win those points and she will win the match. And that's completely true. And he told me that Venus was so confident that he, at, at, at a certain point, he thought, even if she doesn't play tennis, if she's an athlete, she's going to be a top athlete in anything. And I think he's right. Both of his daughters be, were, are incredible athletes. And both of his daughters are incredibly confident in whatever they do. They believe in themselves. Like they believe in themselves in business now. Uh, they believe in themselves, of course, in sports. And 
whatever they do, they think they're gonna they're gonna make it. What's what are strengths, you know? And that explains uh, why both of them became incredible champions. Because of course, Serena is probably the greatest of all times, but Venus has uh, eight Grand Slams and was number one in the world too. What do you say? The hard work builds up the confidence because you know we can say okay be confident but how do you really believe in that is it because of all the hours you put in and i know i've said this many many times but to me serena is the greatest example when you see her at the grand slams seven o'clock in the mornings practicing every single day i wish every young junior player would see that so would you agree that the confidence comes from doing all the things right in order to be prepared the best you can or because you are confident you do those things naturally? That's a very good question. Very good question. I think uh, the natural self-confidence is something you develop at a very young age. People have it, whatever they do, people don't have it. But, but... And for people who are confident, uh, confident and passionate, it's kind of easier to work hard because they don't feel like working. They're just mm. enjoying their time. Where you completely right in your question is hard work is the best way to handle pressure. And I always give, give this example and I always say, and that's why Serena is working so hard also because she knows that when she feels prepared, she has much less pressure. I give you one example. You have to pass an important exam. We all have experienced that. You don't work very hard for your exam. When you when the exam er, comes, when you when you go to your exam, your level of stress is incredibly high because you are hoping it's going to be okay, but you know you're not ready. This is the worst situation. This is what you don't want to happen. Now you go to the same exam you have worked incredibly hard. You think, okay, I'm 100% ready. Whatever question I get, I will I will get the answer right. You have, you have no stress. So in a way, in sports, it's, of course, there is. it's not as simple as that. But the more prepared you are, the more you're going to be able to handle pressure. If you feel you're 100% ready, if you feel, you know, I've done everything I have to do, I'm ready to compete, I'll be at my level. And that's how I always work with players. So they have that feeling. Then the pressure is much lower. Also, I love to do my homework, uh, scouting the opponent and coming to my player with a strategy. It's another way also to feel very prepared. So work, hard work is the best way for you to feel prepared and handle the stress of the competition. So to sum it up, being prepared confident and working hard the key ingredients and passion of course <laughs> passion and uh, and um, and confidence is not something really decide you know it's your education that makes you like you are like that you know uh, daniela you're like that you have this passion hmm. you don't decide to be passionate you are no. a passionate person yeah. right <laughs> okay yes so so you you don't decide to be passionate and, and confident. Again, it's something that your life, uh, your first year of life, so your educa life, your education, your personality is built like that. So this is a, the, the biggest asset. But you don't have it, you don't have it. You can still be a very good player in tennis or 
you can succeed in life without that. You maybe you won't be number one, but you can you can be a great player, uh, or or you can be a great at, in business or whatever. But when you have exams to pass and you have exams in sports, you have exams in important meetings in 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 business. You know, in whatever uh, it applies to everything. Working extremely hard is the best way to be good, to be doing well, and to handle the pressure. And the better you're going to handle pressure, the better you're going to compete, whether it's sports or anything else. Patrick, another word you mentioned there that I like very much, and you know how excited I get whenever we get to talk about this and it's the education something I really love about your academy and the system you've got going that you do really make sure that you put a lot of emphasis with your players about making sure that they do get educated and uh, and they do have a plan b in case this doesn't work out for them professionally can you talk a little bit more about this because I feel like this is such a huge message to a lot of the parents because what I do get quite often is, you know, parents asking me where they should send their kids, which academy and that they already do the homeschool and all that. And I just, it, I find it amazing to do that at such a young age where you just don't know what's going to happen in the tennis world. And that's where I'm so grateful that my parents, for them, the number one priority always till I finished my high school was the education. So if you could talk a little bit about that as well. Of course, first of all, you are a great example because you've been successful in tennis and still you are young and most of your life is going to be after your career, hmm. the, the the longest part of your life. Yeah. So imagine you had no structure, no mental structure, no education because those things go together. What is going to be your second life, which is probably going to be longer than the first one? That's a good question. Hmm. And uh, of course, when parents have the dream of having their kids become champions, they don't think about that, but that's that's so important. That's so important. Most of their life is not going to be about tennis. So they, they can't have only tennis. That would be a huge mistake. That's one of the reasons why education is so important. The second reason, of course, is that we all know that there are only 100 players who have a good living uh, and that there are thousands that don't. Mm. So you can't take such a risk for your kids even though you are very confident in their abilities, you never will know what can happen. I mean, a big injury, uh, they can start to dislike tennis at, at 16. You don't know what's going to happen. So it's extremely important. And I don't like the idea of the plan B because you have to believe 100% into the plan A. I think it's important too. But the plan B is after the career and it's in case something happened that is not expected. And yeah. also, yeah. Yeah, and I, I just, I wouldn't say plan B, but I just, in my personal experience, I felt like I felt less pressure on a tennis court and I could enjoy it even more because I felt like, okay, if this doesn't work out, you know, I can still go to the college. I can do many other things because I have the base to decide to go either way. Obviously, all the focus was on tennis, but at the same time, before I was retiring, I couldn't wait for for the next phase of my life. And I think this is so important because 
sometimes I think athletes do struggle with that. Okay, what's going to happen once we retire? And obviously, in my case, it was absolutely about, okay, what's next? What are the opportunities? And it really made me excited about the retirement instead of being sad. Oh, that's very interesting. I, I completely understand that. And what you said is important. Uh, what is important in life is to have the choice. Mm. And by having a good education, you give yourself opportunities and choices. Whether when you have only one option, first of all, if it doesn't work, you're in trouble. And second, at some point, it can become, become heavy also because you don't have any other option. And, you know, also personality-wise, I, I personally would hate to have no options. Mm. I like to have my, make my choices and, and decide what I want and not decide because I have no other option. So I completely uh, agree with you. And, and we've talked about this uh, uh, before together and, and we are completely on the same page. And since day one at, at my tennis academy, so my academy exists since 1996, so it was not yesterday, <laughs> uh, the, 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 the school program was extremely important. And I made sure that the school would look like what I would have dreamt, dreamt to have when I was a kid. I was not good at school. I was struggling. Uh, I, I didn't enjoy school at all when I was a kid. And I thought I, I, I took the time to think about why, because it's not normal. And, uh, and I've, I've loved to study afterwards by myself, but I hated, I hated it at school. Uh, it's not to say that the, the teachers are not doing a good job. I know it's a very difficult job, especially when you have 35 kids in the classroom. But I thought, how can we do that better? And the idea is that, uh, you know, when, when you study at school, most of the things you study, you don't even, you don't even know how you're going to use it in the future. It sounds very abstract. And I think that if you're able to learn things that you understand how it's going to be useful in your life and with having a lot of examples and a lot of exchange uh, oral exchange exchange with the teachers and with the classroom it makes it so much more interesting and and every time i go to the class classrooms of of my school at the, the, my tennis academy i love it i think wow if i had this when i was young i would have loved school and i'm very proud of that and and uh, again i think it's uh, it that's what, one of the reasons why i'm i'm proud of my tennis academy honestly because the school system is incredibly good uh, we have great results because I feel like that the, the students enjoy going to school. They came to my tennis academy for tennis, but they enjoy being at school also. And that's, again, we talked about passion. I wouldn't say the word passion, but whatever you do, if you enjoy doing it, you're going to do it so much better. And as coaches, and I think a teacher is a coach in a way, we are all coaches. We, our responsibility is to create interest for the, the person we're working with. This person has to like to enjoy. One of the things I've done with my players is to say, okay, come with me, let's watch some tennis matches together so we can talk about it and exchange ideas. I, I create interest. We, you have to exchange ideas and create interest into the, 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 the player or the, the, the student. And I, I think that's what we do well at school. I think that's uh, honestly one of the biggest achievements, Patrick, that I admire so much about you is the education part that you were able to, to bring to our sport as well. And it's a great example for young players all, all around the world. So thank you so much for that. 
Uh, one more thing I would love to ask you about the passion is, you know, when we meet each other in the tournaments, in the studios, obviously we are there to talk about the players and the matches and what just happened on the day, but we never really have a chance to actually talk about you and how you go got yourself into tennis. And if you remember the time when you realized that that was the passion for you. Oh, yes, I remember. It became <laughs> a, a passion straight away. Uh, I, I started tennis like uh, a lot of people, especially uh, people my age, because tennis was extremely uh, popular thanks to uh, champions like Bjorn Borg or John McEnroe uh, and uh, as a French guy, Yannick Noah, a few years later. Um, but I started tennis uh, at four. My parents were going to the tennis club because tennis was popular. They started tennis late, but they liked it. Uh, so I was spending all my weekends at the tennis club, uh, became friends with the kids my age, uh, and we started to play tennis. And I remember from the first days, I I completely fell in love with, with tennis. And very, very, very soon, I was spending my whole Saturday, my whole Sunday on the court, eight hours a day. Uh, the guys on the other side of the court were uh, tired after one hour or two hours. And <laughs> so they were switching, and I was not. I was staying. So it was, I mean... It, passion from the start from really really the start uh, and it took me and, and you know I had to stop my career uh, I'm not going to tell you my whole life it would be too long but I had to stop my career very early as a junior my parents didn't want me to they didn't believe that I, I could be a, a, a great player so they, they wanted me to study so I had to stop and I started working in business uh, for the first years of my life between 20 and 26 years old because I didn't know what to do uh, and I was missing tennis so much. And at lunchtime, I was going to a tennis club that was next to my office. Mm -hmm. I was eating by myself and I was watching the courts. Most of the time there was nobody playing and I was just looking at the courts and I was uh, mentally uh, thinking about a match and, and, and strategies and stuff like that. So, I mean, I was completely obsessed with tennis uh, and it started when I was four. Hmm. So what do you say during those lunch breaks is where kind of the idea of you becoming a coach happened? Um, uh, I realized how tennis was important to me. Mm -hmm. That's this for sure, for sure. Uh, even though I tried to bury it in a way because I was very hurt by the fact that I couldn't make a, mm -hmm. a professional career, which was my dream and I thought was my life. So I tried to bury it, but it came back th that way. So I realized that, uh, yes, it had to be part of my life and um, I took this decision uh, at 26 to start my tennis academy, 26 years old. My my father has a very big company. He's in re renewable energies. And uh, when I was 26, he felt uh, I was ready for business because I had uh, done quite a lot of things in business for the last six years. And he said, if you want, we can become partners. And, and I knew that uh, I would make a lot of money and my, my life would be kind of easy. And, uh, and I answered to him that, uh, of course, I was thanking him for uh, proposing that and believing in me. But I, ha I told him exactly those words. I said, I'm lucky enough to have a passion, which is really a lucky thing because most of the people don't. And uh, I would, I, I want to, I want to, when I'll be 60 or 70 years old, I want to turn back and feel like I went all the way in my passion. I don't want to feel like I've done renewable energy and my passion was tennis. So I will come back to tennis now. And what I couldn't do myself as a player, 
I'm going to help player, young players do what I couldn't do. And in a way, that would be that will be my achievement. I didn't think I would do it as a coach. I thought I would do it as a as a, the owner of a tennis academy. But uh, I did it both ways. Uh, but that my idea was to start my tennis academy. And I started at 26 by renting two courts for a few hours a day in a tennis club. Wow. Talking about tough beginnings, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Talking about tough beginnings and working hard for it. Uh, about the coaching thing, can you tell me what is the most difficult part of it? Because some people might think, and I think this is one thing that also players get confused that I don't think being a good player necessarily means being a good coach. And I do respect the great coaches very much because I think it's an awfully <laughs> difficult job to do. And some people might think, oh, you know, you're coaching Serena Williams. That's got to be like the easiest job in the world because she's the great champion and all that. But I think the opposite of that would be true. So the, the number one quality, I think, and the most difficult thing is to uh, to listen. Um, and it's, it's funny because I think it's the opposite of what people would think of me, is that I'm very, uh, I have a lot of uh, strong ideas and I know what I want and all the players have to to accept my, uh, my guidance. Uh, and that's exactly the opposite. Not that I don't have strong ideas, I do. But I believe that everybody is different and, uh, and you need to communicate completely differently with each player. Every player has a different game, has different uh, things, uh, problems that you need to solve. Uh, so the way is completely different every time. And to be able to find the right way, you need to learn how to listen. And more than that, and that's an expression that I use all the time, you, don't, you shouldn't listen, you should hear. And it's completely different. Listening, it's shutting, you, you shut up, you listen. But to hear what the people think rather yeah. than listening to what they say is a completely different thing. And to be able to help a player achieve his or her potential, you need to hear what they think. You need to understand who they are. And this is, I think, difficult thing, the most challenging thing, and thing that requires qualities that has not, have nothing to do with tennis. You can be the best player in the world if you don't know how to do that. You're not gonna be. A, you're not gonna be a great coach. So what I what I love about my job is that every time it's completely different. And otherwise, you know, otherwise our job would be boring. It would be just having a recipe and doing the same recipe all your life. That's not very challenging. Mm -hmm. That's not very exciting. Our job is fantastic because we never know which way we will have to take. Every player gives you a completely different challenge. There are always mental things, physical things, technical things, tactical things, mental things, organization. You know, it's a big puzzle and you have to put all the pieces together and understand how everything works for this player. It's like a, it's like a clean sheet every time that you start scratch, and it's kind of 
you're writing a new book, the book of the history of this player that you will have to go through in order to get the result. And that's why it's so challenging, and but also why it's so exciting. Hmm. So just to explain a bit more, some players will need some type of relationship. For example, uh, when I work with Aravan Rezai, because of her life, uh, the, the life she had and the experiences she went through, she needed a coach that was um, extremely uh, taking all the responsibilities and telling her what she needed to do. She needed a coach that was very negative. I don't like the word negative, huh? but I, to give you an example, when she was winning a matches, I was telling her everything that was wrong when she was winning a match. That sounds crazy. No, no, no. I know but exactly what I you mean. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, but I was not, uh, that's not my personality. Of course, I wanted to tell her, wow, great. I'm happy. And I remember when she beat uh, Justin Henning in uh, in Madrid. Uh, and afterwards, she she went on uh, winning the tournament, beating, beating Venus in final. Yeah, I remember When that. she beat her, I, I told her all the things that went wrong. <laughs> and you know what? She... You know why I did that? I tell you why. I did that because I knew by that by doing that, she will think that's incredible. I beat Justin Henning in two sets, and I did a lot of things wrong, which means that I'm so much better than her. That's what she thought, and I knew she, she would think like that. Yeah, basically, you were building up her years, confidence that way. <laughs> completely, completely. <laughs> But this would never work for somebody else. Never. This was working for her. And I knew that. That's why I was doing it. And for other players, you say, if you don't, if you say even a single thing that is not 100% positive, it would destroy the confidence. So, I mean, th this is too extreme. Huh? It's yeah. much more, of course, subtle than that. But, but it's just to say that everybody's so different. Everybody processes things so differently. There is no recipe. And you have to understand the psychology of everyone of every player, each player, and completely deal with that. Coming back to Ervan, six months after I we stopped working together, she called me and said to me, my coach doesn't believe in me. And I asked her, why do you say that? And she answered, because my I lost a match and my, my coach told me that I played well. So it means yeah. I'm bad. And I thought, yes, this coach didn't understand how to speak to to, to Ervan. Mm. Yep. So would you, you say have to, you have to do exactly the opposite? Would you say ninety percent is um, being a psychologist as well to the players? I mean, maybe not ninety, but it's, I think it's, it's one of the part. biggest yeah. uh, assets of a coach. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think the best coaches are the best uh, psychologists. Yep. When I say psychologist, it's more uh, understanding how the players process, and in yeah. order to do it, you have to hear what they think, and this is. I think, yes, uh, some assets of the psychologist, yes. Yeah, because as you said, it's, huge but, uh, it's not enough to be a psychologist. Huh? Yeah, of course. But there is a huge difference, like you said, between listening and really hearing what people saying. Now, we all know that the players are crazy, super nuts about superstitious. Do you have something when you watch your players that you like to do or you're one of those free people that is not obsessed with any of it? Well, I'm not superstitious, and I refuse to be. Well done. Uh, because I, th I think no, but I think it's. Um, I mean, if you start, you don't stop. It's always more and more and more. It's. Uh, 
I think it's very addictive to mm-hmm. be, uh, to be, uh, yeah. So I think it's something you have to fight. But again, uh, I adapt to my players, and uh, and I. It's very important to respect the beliefs of the people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the pe- the beliefs of the people are what they are. You don't want to change people. I don't want to change people, and I think. Uh, uh, and I know this word that maybe sounds weird for a coach, but love is very important, and you have to love your player. Mm. You have to love your player. Yeah. I don't. I hate when when coaches criticize the player. This is unacceptable for me. Yeah. You have to love your player, and you have to admire your player. Mm. I think as a coach, it's extremely important. So, and we all say that we all know that in a couple, uh, when you love uh, the person you live with. You love the person the way she is, and you have to love her the way she is. You don't want to change that person. Mm. And a lot of people think that love is changing the, the other person, and this is wrong. Yep. And in coaching, it's the same. Mm. People how what they are, and you have to accept them and like them the way they are, and not judge them. So if they're superstitious, they're superstitious. At some point, if you think it hurts them, then you have to find a way to change a habit that you cannot change what they are deeply. Yeah. Mm, very well said. Okay, Patrick. Well, you know, it's been so deep full, everything we discussed here. So the very last question, I promise is the last one to lighten it up a little bit. Honestly, tell me, when is the last time you were in one place this long? Because we know how we are used to traveling and does it make you feel like, okay, I just need to jump on the other plane and go to the next tournament? Or are you actually starting to feel like, you know what, I'm actually enjoying this, not traveling bits of it? So to answer your question, the last time was uh, when before when I was 26 or before, <laughs> uh, because since I started to, uh, to work on tour, uh, I mean, you know how it is. Mm. It's just crazy. <laughs> and I had some years when I traveled 40 weeks a year. Wow. Okay. 40 weeks. Okay. So it's not the case anymore because Serena's playing much less than before. And we share the time, also the practice time. Sometimes I come to Florida, sometimes she comes to my tennis academy in the south of France. So I'm traveling, let's say, half of the time, but it's a lot still. It's like 25 to 30 weeks a year. So, yeah, a long time ago. Do I enjoy it? Yes, I love it <laughs> to, to be at home. I, I, I love to spend time with my family. Uh, and I, I like because it changes, but I, I, I try not to like it too much because I know I will have to go back on tour and mm. I will have to be motivated and excited too. So, uh, because otherwise I'm not going to be good at what I'm doing. Mm. <laughs> Passion has to stay alive. And, uh, and I think I'm enjoying as much now because I know, uh, uh, I know it's special. I know it's not going to last. And, uh, and, we kind of like to travel too, otherwise we would have chosen another. Even though it's not the thing we love the most, we would have chosen a different uh, job, probably. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's and the I'm fact sure just... you're enjoying your time playing golf. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the fact that we are always on the move. I would, I would call it being on the move instead of traveling, because yes, the traveling can get tough. But just, you know, going from place to place, it's something we are used to for so many years. How do you find be you know keeping the healthy routines and maybe getting the workouts in and all that when when you are on the road because probably that's one of the biggest challenge we have would you say i think it's uh, i think discipline is extremely important whatever mm. you do uh, and especially at the moment you know with this quarantine uh 
a lot of people lose their discipline because, well, they don't need to wake up in the morning, so they don't, they they wake up later, and then because they wake up later, then they go to bed later, and then later, and then later, and finally they they completely lose any kind of routine, yep. and that's the best way to to fall into a depression. Mm. Uh, I think it's it, we, we, you know what, uh, I know it's uh, something very common what I'm gonna say, but it's extremely important. You always have the choice to look at the half, uh, the glass half full or half empty. Totally. So you can think, oh wow, it's it's so tough, I cannot move, etc. You can also look at the positive things. Again, you spend time with your family. Uh, you can do things, as you said, that maybe most of the time you can't have the time to do. Uh, and and third, and that's what I said to my team. I said, guys, there are, there are people will be divided in two groups after this uh, crisis. The people who will uh, have lost a lot of things and a lot of money and uh, be depressed, and the ones that would have take they will take advantage of the situation. I want us to be in that group. So first of all, discipline every day. Wake up, work out, uh, have a schedule, have a schedule. You know, your day has to be scheduled. Your week has to be scheduled. Make sure everything is scheduled. And uh, and the question is. How can we use this time the best possible way in order that when everything goes back to normal, we're better than we were before? And it's the same on tour. Uh, we're traveling. We have jet lag all the time, travels. And and uh, sometimes we have late matches. We come back at 2 o'clock in the morning. You know what? We come back at 2 o'clock in the morning. We'll be on time on the court day after whatever happens. And we have the discipline. Serena is a great example of discipline. Yep. I think I am too. And that's why also we we get along so well for so long. Um, the routine and the discipline is one of the most important thing. It's extremely difficult, but I think it's a muscle. And I hmm. a lot of things are a muscle. Yeah. The more you use your muscle of discipline, the easier it becomes to be disciplined. The more you give up discipline, the, the weaker your disciplined muscle becomes and the more you're going to lose it. You just have to work on it every day and make this disciplined muscle, sorry, it's an image, right? it's not reality, of course, but make it as strong as possible and then it's, things go easy. Patrick, I cannot thank you enough for this uh, amazing time you've spent uh, here on my podcast with me because the, the answers couldn't be any more deep so i do appreciate that very very much and thank you for amazing messages uh, that uh, hopefully all the listeners will take from this time that um, we spent together daniela it was a great pleasure as always you know i love when you interview me <laughs> so whenever you want and uh, no and and uh, and we get along really well because we i think we 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 share a lot of things uh, uh, a lot of views in common, a lot of uh, mm. a lot of values in common, and, and a lot of passions also. Uh, so whenever we spend time, uh, whether it's uh, on, with a microphone or on a tennis court, it's always a pleasure. <laughs> yeah, it's always inspiring times for me because I feel like every single time I talk to you, there is so much I can I can learn. And let's hope that this is all over very soon, and we can be sitting in the studio again together and uh, talking about the matches that are currently happening live and that uh, we'll get to that point uh, very soon and uh, at the meantime please stay safe uh, you and your family and uh, 
hopefully we'll see each other very, very soon. Thank you so much again, Patrick. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Daniela. Thank you for inviting me. Hi there. I hope you have enjoyed today's episode of the Real DNA podcast. Don't forget to subscribe either on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. 